0: Support for Class Dismiss comes from School Status. School Status is the only K-12 data analytics platform designed to turn analysis into engagement. To learn more about how school status can change at your school district, head over to schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, Episode 64, and I'm your host, Nick Ortego. Texas saved a lot of money by making cuts to special education over the past decade and a half, but a federal order is going to force them to spend millions to get it back on track. And could the future of high school football be in jeopardy? Stay with us. ¶¶ Last Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we speak with a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, we have the author of the Principal Hotline Advice Column. Hello, everybody. Nick go here, and I'm joined by teacher extraordinaire, Lissa Pruitt. Russ has the evening off. Lisa, how are you doing?
1: Whew, I'm good.
0: Your voice sounds yeah. a little different today.
1: I think every teacher must go through this at the beginning of the year. It's just over usage.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I'm guess good. if you're talking yes. all day long and you hadn't been over the summer, right. it's going to catch up to
1: you. Yes.
0: I, I had that happen back when I used to do um, weather when we'd have a, a like a hurricane event and we were on air for you know long periods of time. You were sleeping less and so mm-hmm. forth. Same thing. My voice would be just shot.
1: Yeah, I think I have a little bit of allergies going on too, and you know those wonderful AC units in the schools, but you know they're they're all dust free, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that couldn't be part of it either.
0: <laughs> well, anyhow, everything's good though. School year's going along well.
1: Yeah, it is. It's it's we're getting ready for DOT day coming up. DOT
0: day. That's not Department of Transportation, is it? No. What's that? It's
1: the Make Your Mark Day, September fifteenth. Okay. Cool. Um, Is that that a nationwide thing? It is, and there's a storybook that goes with it and takes place in an art class, so we're making our mark on society.
0: Very nice. Well, I will try not to make you talk more than you have to, but saying that, let's jump right into the teacher's lounge (laughs) and figure out what you know this week.
1: Holy Moses, Texas is looking rough these days with the special ed fallout, um...
0: Yeah, and they really are somewhat of a leader in education Absolutely. as a state as a whole. Yeah. It sounds like what they got themselves in a little bit of a, a pickle.
1: Yes. And honestly, to be fair to Texas, they were like among the leaders with dyslexia and awareness and support and services for dyslexia. Yet, in you know, everybody's pointing fingers, but back in 2004, um, everybody started feeling pressure to have less students needing. Special Ed services. So there's, you know, administrators are pointing to the legislature, and you know, sp- sp- sped directors are pointing towards their administrators. It's just kind of everybody's pointing the finger. But you're saying it all there's like boils this. down to funding. Basically, they cut their funding, and so they just kind of said, you know, at that time their sped enrollment was right around the national average of sped enrollment back but in 'o four. Mm-hmm. And so they just said, you know what, let's just have a goal, a target, to have less students qualify. Maybe we're over-qualifying kids for SPED is how it was explained. So whereas the leaders are saying, well, that was a target, not necessarily a cap, the teachers and administrators are saying, no, 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 it was very much, let you know, we were leaned on to lower the numbers. Right. So... You know, over 200,000 children are not being served that do qualify. And that's not even counting the 100,000 that have already, you know, they're out of the system. So they did not, they were not served.
0: So basically kids haven't been served for the past, was it 14 years? Yeah. Properly, but now... It's been a
1: slow decline, but yes. And then now federal mandates coming down saying you have to reverse this. You have to make, you know... Make sure that you're identifying and that people are qualifying and you've got to fix this. But there's no money because the way their budget is set up. So they've got, you know, they're now proposing this, you know, gazillion, bazillion, you know, dollar plan to try to fix what they did.
0: Yeah. And I guess, I guess if I'm understanding this right, like, so when you have a budget, I think at a home or a business or whatever, you know, it's hard to make big jumps, Right. It's like it's like you continue to, you know, you always look at the year before, and then you might be able to go up a little bit, down a little bit. But it sounds like now they're like, oh, we need to make a big jump to recover for. That's right. This SPED Right because lack that we had.
1: Right, and you need now you need to employ more teachers than you were employing, um, which is a problem because mm. you know we all know that there are teacher shortages, but there is a major sped teacher shortage. So even twenty percent of Texas's teachers that were in the SPED program, 20% of them were not even qualified SPED teachers. Hmm. So it's really hard. Um, And so I'm sure they, you know, and, and, you know, Nick, you may not know this, but there is a growing trend, you know, to put the special ed services back in the classroom to where for those students to be able to have a shot at graduating high school with a, high school degree they have to be able to do certain things and be in the classroom a certain amount of hours and it starts young to to get them used to that to where they can have a diploma and so they are back in the classrooms a lot but that still they still have to have a sped teacher or resource teacher or assistant with them so it is expensive it's very expensive sped programs are expensive but so are art programs and you know, lots of programs are expensive, but you do need more human bodies, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to be able to operate that program. And so I think Texas is worried now that, okay, well with this change that's coming towards them and they're going to correct it, you know, um, but they're worried about a fallout with other programs being cut. Right.
0: So I guess what's happening is, so they, they realize they have the shortfall. Now the, educators from all across the state are turning back to the state legislators and saying, hey, we're going to need more money.
1: Right. We're going to have to restructure our tax. And yes. I'm
0: guessing they're going, well, you might need to cut somewhere else. And that's where, right. that's where we are now.
1: And so I, I do – my heart does kind of go out to the SPED directors and administrators anyway, you know, whether you're regular ed SPED administrator because you're getting cut so much left and right, and now you're being told – We've been cutting you for years in all different ways. And you're trying to be, you know, creative and fund different programs that are needed. And now we need you to do to make this huge change. And you need even more resources, but there's no money to get it. And so, I mean, it's there's just not enough money in education to do what needs to be done. Like even at my school, there's this program that helps dyslexic students. And it's just a computer Program, you know, but that has a subscription that goes with it, and that is a huge tool in helping the children. It's called Lexia. Well, we don't have the funding to be able to to have that program for these students, and so, I mean, even I am trying to come up with ways as the art teacher to help fund that program because, you know, dys- dyslexia is huge, Right. and they you need. Blood
0: sense or- Donors. I, I did.
1: I, ch- I, I did the donors choose. I did fill yeah. that out. But I went to the website and and you know kicked around. I'm working on the other one. Yeah. So anyway, but I know some people were were trying to do donors choose and pledge cents for Lexia for the dyslexia right. software. So you know, it's these are resources that are great that teachers find out about, mm-hmm. and then they become an expense once you rely on it. And they're helpful in your classroom. Then you're having to find ways to fund it in the next, in the coming years when budget, you know, get cut and you get those things cut. So, I mean, it's, I mean, it's bad for Texas. It's, it's bad. And some, it's somebody's fault and everybody's pointing around. And, but it really, you know, in the end of the day, they're out of money and they, they were just trying to, you know, provide as many resources as possible. But now, I mean that the, the main gist is they're out of money. So, I mean, it's ugly. It's gotten ugly, but I think it's going to get fixed. But, you know, where are they going to find all these SPED teachers, too? Because everybody needs them.
0: So, at the end of the day, there is no real solution. Like, they're trying to find the money, and that's where we are right now.
1: Right. They have a proposal that they've gone forward with. And, it. I mean, it, it is a large amount of money. Mm-hmm. And it. I think it's a four- or five-year plan that's going to start, you know, fixing what happened as far as the under evaluation um, of students so there's definitely going to be more students that parents that were frustrated and struggling and felt like their children needed special services and they were not testing in they are now going to be tested in but then now the problem is well are they going to move your child to another school now um, to be able to resource them because they don't have what they need at that school because funding is so short.
0: Right. Well, um,
1: sorry to be a downer. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: that just sounds like they're in a tough spot. It is. So here's something that I've got that Texas probably isn't feeling yet because football is big in Texas. Right.
1: Uh huh.
0: Um, but NBC news, um, had a story out last week basically saying that dozens, which I know dozens of schools isn't a lot when you look at the big picture, but dozens of schools are now canceling their football program because they don't have enough kids. These are public schools. don't have enough kids to fill the football team.
1: Wow, it's a roster. <laughs>
0: right. And obviously they, they interviewed some, some kids and stuff from the team, and, and they were frustrated. You know, it was my senior year. I was hoping you know, now it's just immediately cut. But I guess what I'm getting at is, is this going to be a trend? Is, are the studies that surround football um, so detrimental and so concerning to parents that you're seeing them pull back on their kids? that they're not allowing their kids to play football, and ultimately we're going to see you know, kids go to play soccer, basketball, something else.
1: So you were saying that they didn't have enough to roster because parents are holding their kids out of football. Right, that, I thought you just meant their their enrollment was low just no. generally in the school.
0: No, we're, t- we're talking about parents' concern. I mean, I guess this may sound extreme to some folks, and I'm going to throw this out there, and I may have even said this before, but are we going to get to a point where when you allow your child to play football, um, and I know you have a child that plays football and so do I, but, um, when, you, so, so I feel like I can say this, but when you allow your child to play football, is it the equivalent of saying you can smoke cigarettes? Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you we're, we're basically allowing them to potentially damage their body. Right. Um, are we, are we going to get there to where there's a social stigma around allowing your child to play football?
1: Um, I mean, there definitely is a social stigma already, um, because I have heard, You know, people have said to me, and they're just, you know, in the South being sweet, but they'll say, you know, oh, he plays football. Oh, I would never let my child. So then I just, like, but I let mine. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So, I mean, there's already a stigma, and I understand that. And I, you know, my son is a kicker, so I feel, and my brother kicked, so I feel a little safer with that decision as a kicker if Mm. my son wanted to Be a running back, I do think I would put my foot down and say no, yeah, I, especially after the research that's come down to where we know the effects of the brain long term. You know, that's hard, that's hard to sign your kids up for that. Um, and for those, so, that, yeah,
0: for those who don't know, we we, we live in um, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, it's the home of Brett Favre. Um, and and he's actually gone on the record and kind of made headlines about a year and a half ago because he said he wouldn't let his son, if he had a son. Play football, and you know, mm-hmm. here's this guy, this NFL great, saying that, and that was pretty much an eye-opening moment. And I just wonder where are we going to be in ten years now? Mm-hmm. Are these massive football programs, and you know, down in the south, they'll probably be the last ones to go if they go at all. But are we going to see football just go by the wayside? I
1: think it'll take longer than ten years, but I do think it's it's you're right to compare it to the cigarette debacle because. For so long, it was okay to smoke cigarettes, and you didn't realize the, the negative, you know, leading health causes. And when it finally came out, then it became a stigma. So I do think, I mean, yes, we know the negative health concerns with concussions and things like that. Um, so I think it may take a, a couple of years, but I could see where it... Um, Definitely, and they're expensive programs too. Football programs are true. very expensive.
0: Yeah, and but they also make money for schools, do they? Don't they? Am, I, am They I'm
1: usually a- wash their own money in this within the same program. Yeah. So, if you're if you're able to employ teachers, you know that they're teaching school, but then they're also helping with your football program. That's great. But a lot of the money that goes towards football programs are through boosters, which are independent of the school and they usually make their own rain um and they're expensive if they would share some of the money <laughs> with the rest of the school they probably um would the the programs would live longer you know because right. i mean even i'm sure and i've gotten off topic but other sports that are secondary to football like soccer and you know, sometimes like volleyball, they, they don't bring in the money that football does. So therefore they don't get the money that football gets. And, you know, I think it's necessary for schools to have sports, especially the larger our high schools get and middle schools, everybody needs to feel connected to something. Everybody needs to feel a part of a group and a team. And it's, especially with suicide awareness and things like that if you can have your child involved with the debate club, the show choir, the band, the football team, the baseball team, cheerleaders, dance, there are countless ways to have your child involved in something. And you're going to have, they're, they're going to be more successful because they feel like they belong somewhere instead of just one nameless face in a graduating class of 400. So I think these programs are super important. Um, but I do think that, yeah, safety, you know, they may just start to change the regulations like they did recently with soccer, where you cannot head the ball, you know, unless you're over a certain age. They may start to change. High school football might look maybe a little different.
0: I, I'm going to, getting off the subject of high school football, just football in general, I'm going to make a prediction. And I know not enough people listen to this show to, to really remember. What are you remember, talking about? So many remember, people listen to Remember this. 10 years from now to be like, he was right. Oh, my gosh. But... I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I think the NFL and maybe college football will not be the dominant sport that it is right now on television, and it will be replaced by maybe soccer, but more importantly, the one out of left field, pardon the pun, is going to be video games. Video games will become a sport. (laughs) It already is happening, and it's going to be huge, and the millennials are going to be watching it nonstop. I was in a bar the other night, uh, like a restaurant, and looked over towards the bar section, and there were people watching an Overwatch tournament, a professional Overwatch, which is a video game, players, and it was being broadcast on like one of the ESPNs.
1: It's and just to be fair, Nick is a gamer. I'm just saying, no, I'm just, <laughs> I, I really am not. I
0: really don't play that much, but but I watch my kids and. That's What do they do in the evenings? They yeah. watch other gamers. They watch Twitch. They they watch people who can teach them how to game better. There is a sport that will develop, you see.
1: Mm, okay. Well, mm. I unfortunately will know you 10 years from now. Yes. So I'll, I will be the one that says, yes, he was right or Thank no, he's wrong. <laughs> Thank you.
0: I will. This will be recorded and archived forever. <laughs> um, are you ready for the uh, bright idea? Yes. Do, do you remember that article that um, Russ... He texted to both of us like a week or two ago, and it was um, about the the parents who don't leave the classroom. Yes. Well, I tracked down the author of that column.
1: Oh, awesome.
0: And I've got her on the show to kind of talk about her column, which is directed right towards principals. It's like the principal hotline. It's an advice column for principals. So we have her on the show. Our guest in today's Bright idea segment is the writer of the principal hotline advice column works for Dutchess County Schools in New York, and her column is published on School Leaders Now. Amy, welcome to the show.
2: Hello, it's good to be here.
0: You know, I'm really enjoying your column, and in fact, um, our co-host, Russ, uh, he actually emailed it to me uh, a few weeks back. And I really like it because it's not just informative, it also has some good, lighthearted, and fun angles to it. How did you find yourself um, writing this principal hotline?
2: Um... A friend of mine pointed me towards school leaders now actually decided to hold a contest to decide who would be writing their advice column because they decided that they wanted to write an advice column, but they didn't necessarily have things like the tone or the direction completely fleshed out. So I found this opportunity and I have done other freelance writing on the side, so a friend of mine was. This looks like it would be right up your alley. So I auditioned, and I ended up winning the contest. Um, and my winning entry was actually the very first column that was published. From there, it's been it's been a fun adventure. Um, it's sort of a challenge every week to figure out. Okay, well, here's here's this question that I haven't necessarily thought about before. Um, I mean, obviously some of the columns are things that come up all the time and everybody struggles with, but then there's, you know, every once in a while you get one and it's like, Oh man, I'm not sure. I really need to think about this. So,
0: right. And, and I, your column you said can be found on school leaders now. So for somebody who is not familiar with that site, is it kind of explain it, is it a branch off of we are teachers, which a lot of people are familiar with?
2: It's attached to we are teachers and I believe it's a branch off of it. I'm not particularly involved in um you know the management side of things um but yeah it's definitely attached to we are teachers if you google school leaders now it's the first thing that comes up
0: and so you kind of started to allude to this how do you go about picking a topic to respond to
2: there's a bunch of different ways that we do it Um, so sometimes my editor will hand me a topic that she has chosen And um, I also do some idea generation. So we will have a bank of, okay, here's what we're going to cover over the next month or so. Um, And then, you know, I'll get sent a full question, um, pretty much as it ends up being displayed uh, in the final column. And um, from there, you know, figure out how to respond.
0: It, the The article that um, originally caught my eye was one that you wrote fairly recently and earlier this month, and it was um, the principal hotlines. It was the never-ending morning drop-off, which is kind of about helicopter parents, right?
2: It's a little bit about helicopter parenting. Um, and because of the nature of an advice column, obviously we can't tackle uh, an issue from beginning to end. So there's the helicopter parenting part, but then there's also this very real issue of kids who are having a hard time adapting to school. So the the column answer ended up focusing on helicopter parenting, and um, I mean that's just it's such a hard thing to deal with, um, just in in terms of practicality because obviously you're having an issue with the parents who are especially engaged. So you have to find a balance where you're creating boundaries that make sense and allow your school to function, but also respect the fact that these are engaged parents who love their kids and really want to be involved.
0: Yeah. And in the article, the way it kind of breaks down. So for our listeners that aren't familiar with it, it's basically they, they write you guys and they say, dear principal hotline, here's the story. Uh, I'm new to my position as the principal of this large elementary school and, and I'm kind of taking it slow. Um, but it talks about how the previous administration allowed moms and dads to, to deliver their kids directly to the classrooms every morning um and, and we're not just talking about like the kindergartners and then they kind of would linger in the hallways and it had almost become social hour there um and this principal turned to you all to say you know how do I fix this this is this is kind of a problem I, you know should I turn these parents away or like you said is the engagement a good thing um so so talk about your response to that um
2: so my response to that is and if you read all of my columns it's sort of a recurring theme where you have to have firm boundaries and it doesn't necessarily have to be you're never allowed in our school you can't interact with classrooms and a lot of times i think that when you're having an issue the first place your mind goes is one extreme or the other you know so for this i recommended first addressing why are these parents in the classrooms way beyond what you think is reasonable. And so it could be the teachers are encouraging it because, you know, teachers oftentimes are very happy to have parental assistance. If it's a parent who is hands-on and is able to help, um, especially in classrooms that don't necessarily have the resources that they need. Um, But there's also the chance that it's a kid who has yet to be classified or who needs um, maybe a one-to-one aid or who needs some extra accommodations. So it's really a matter of why is this happening? And then from there, once you know why it's happening and if there are extenuating circumstances, drawing up what you feel the ideal should look like. So the ideal could vary widely depending on, you know, um, socioeconomic status of the neighborhood, local culture. Um, Obviously, there's a huge difference between how one parent wants to parent their child and how another parent wants to parent their child. It's not necessarily the same. And the cultures within various buildings aren't necessarily going to be the same. So what I really tried to do was outline, here's what you can do, without saying, here's what you need to do. Uh, A couple of the suggestions that I made were um, giving parents something that they can't miss as a cue to get out of the classroom and let the morning start. Um, So the Pledge of Allegiance, or um, when the bell rings, or a certain time, And then regardless of why they're there, make them come back to the lobby and sign in as a guest. Um, So that way by following a procedure that you, um, that you have, if they were to just walk in the door after the morning routine had started, you're filtering who's in your building and why and how. And so the, the issue with you know the never-ending drop-off is that parents are accessing your building during the easiest time to walk into your building and they aren't having to explain why they want to be there um, and how long they're going to be there or whether anyone has asked them to be there. So decide what you want it to look like and then put it in writing. Tell your parents. Make sure that they know that these are the rules. Some parents may not even realize that what they're doing is an inconvenience for the classroom or for the building.
0: Another column that uh, kind of jumped out at me, and I think this one hit me because it, it doesn't just necessarily apply to principals, but it applies to really anybody in leadership. And it was about the um, sending out a survey to the teaching staff asking, you know, how am I doing? Grade me. Um, and thinking that they were doing a great job getting those surveys back and them not being so positive. Um, what was your advice to a principal in that role?
2: My advice was to not take it personally, um, but to take it as valid. Um, but it's sort of that classic thing where if you're sitting across from somebody, they're going to give you feedback in one way. But if you hand them an anonymous survey, all of a sudden it's, um, it's sort of like asking for a review on Amazon where you're going to get people who are like, Oh my God, this, this desk fan I bought broke within one day because it, it's a little bit louder than they expected. Right. So what I, what I told um, the, the questioner is put it in a drawer, let yourself cool off, know that, if you feel like you're doing a good job and people are generally happy with you to your face, they don't, you're not doing a terrible job. Um, If you're truly failing, you're going to know that. Um, But the feedback probably has some valid points, harsh, maybe, but valid. So after you've cooled off and you're able to approach it with, that initial shock having worn off and with a more objective eye um, look at it, see what the patterns are. And if there's, if there's one thing that half the surveys say, maybe consider addressing that issue. Um, I, It's been a little while, but I believe I also um, encouraged maybe visiting some of the issues at a staff meeting um, just so that you can get clarification in perhaps a more tactful way. People aren't saying things just to say them. Um, It does does take a little bit of effort to fill out a survey and to tell you, here's what you're doing well, here's what you're not doing well. And with the anonymous survey, people are always going to be more willing to give you the negative than the positive um, because they wouldn't be able to say that somewhere else.
0: Well, the, uh, columns, a lot of fun, um, encourage our listeners to check it out. It can be found at, uh, school leaders now, um, which you can find by just Googling school leaders now, or I think the actual web address is school leaders now dot we And, uh, again, it's called the principal hotline. Uh, Amy Lynn Tompkins, are you ready for our pop quiz?
2: Absolutely.
0: All right. First question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should that be? Music. is that?
2: music is it can encompass every single other subject um there's there's physics involved in music there's math um there's language and it's sort of a language unto itself but it's also spoken language um sung language it forces you to learn a different style of writing um so you essentially have to become fluent in a totally different um, language um, because, you know, tribal class is not, it's not English, but it is a language and you can read
0: it. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching?
2: I think a lot more life skills. Um, I see a lot of students and um, a lot of, a lot of young people who graduate from high school and they don't know how to write a check. Um, I actually had an employee who asked me what a check looks like. If you don't like, if you haven't encountered that you don't necessarily, you certainly don't know how to balance a checkbook, how to track finances. Um, So I, I feel like towards the end of high school, Bringing back home ec. I mean, the problem with home ec originally was it was girls only, but I do think that we need some sort of training to get kids ready to pay rent, to know how to read a lease and decide whether or not they actually can come to you know live by the terms of that. And there's a lot of just a lot of lack of encouragement for our our students to be able to function in the real world.
0: What does every child deserve?
2: Um, <laughs> sorry, that makes me giggle because, um, we had t-shirts a couple of years ago for our, um, our initial superintendent's day at the very beginning of school. Everyone got a t-shirt that says our child deserves a hero. Um, and I think that's a really good way of saying it. Um, because every kid, really just needs one adult, just one adult that they can go to, that they love, um, and who will support them. Um, I work in a district that's very disadvantaged and, um, you know, we have kids who their parents have sold their clothes and so they come to school in the same, Mm. like, three outfits for an entire school year and they don't necessarily fit. They aren't necessarily clean, um, and they don't, they don't have anybody. And those kids, um, all kids, really, will find, or hopefully will find, one grown-up in the building who they've adopted. Um, so the kids who adopted me, that's, that's just how I phrase it, is, um, is that... You know, they adopt you. And what they really need is one person to advocate for them, to make them feel valued, to make them feel um, like human beings, to respect them, to show them that there's a way to interact with the world.
0: What's the biggest challenge for today's educators?
2: I think it's so many different things. It's hard to pick one. Um, the high level of micromanagement by um, things like Common Core, I know a lot of teachers struggle with that um, because it isn't necessarily consistent with what their students need to learn or how their students do learn. Um, and obviously in New York State, we've, we've always had our regions program, so there's always been a higher level of standardized testing. And, um, but I know that in our district, one of the things that our teachers struggle with most is trying to get parents involved. It's a struggle to learn or already be aware of the fact that education doesn't start or end with school. Um, and it's hard for our students to know that too. Um, and... I think that with the post-2008 economy, a lot of times our secondary students look at college, look at post-secondary school, and say, why? Why do I need to get good grades so I can go to college? I may not, I may not be able to find a job anyway, so what's the point?
0: What's the best gift to give an educator?
2: Time. Um, and probably a gift card to Target.
0: <laughs> um, which teacher changed your life?
2: Um, yeah, I actually talked about her in one of my columns. Um, there was a... My third grade teacher was an amazing person. Um, in my column, I talked about the fact that if I went through school now, I would probably be classified special ed and have an IEP.
1: Um,
2: but... A lot of times girls get missed a lot more often than boys Um, so my my third grade teacher was just um, her students were her children and she um, she really set a high standard in terms of making sure that you look out for your students and you make them feel comfortable in your classroom and comfortable with you and supported and loved
0: what was the title of that column uh do you know offhand
2: um it was it was something about that kid
0: uh, I don't, um, was how it, do
2: you handle that kid yeah
0: there's one you have that says um i don't want my kid in the same classroom with that child that one
2: yes that okay. one
0: so if anyone wants to catch that and last question uh pen or pencil pen All right. Amy Lynn Tompkins, we appreciate you taking the time to chat. Again, the column is uh, available over at School Leaders Now, and it is called The Principal Hotline. Thanks again.
2: All right. Thank you.
0: That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. We want to hear from you, so if you want to send us an idea or a comment, remember you can always email us at info at We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So if you like what you heard today, please be sure and hit that subscribe button, and we'd also love it if you'd leave us a five-star review. Don't forget you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash classdismissedpodcast or on Twitter to search for us by typing in dismiss. On behalf of Russ with school status and Lissa representing all the teachers out there, I'm Nick Orton go and I'll talk with you next week.
1: Class dismissed.